Hi, you're listening to Where To From Here, a new podcast series from Moonplay Cinema, an artist-driven community and screening program located in Minnesota. We support women and non-binary filmmakers and artists first and foremost. We are called Moonplay Cinema because we believe in boundlessness and inclusivity. When we turn out the lights and press play, our screen is the moon glowing and open. My name is Jess Reyes, the host of Where To From Here and lead artist organizer of Moonplay Cinema. This podcast series is made possible by generous donors of our 2020 Indiegogo campaign. Without your support, Moonplay wouldn't have been able to launch in 2020. I want to share a little bit about the development um, in how uh, this podcast series uh, came to be. Where to from here developed out of a conversation I had with Andrea Shaker, a community member and contributor of Moonplay. Andrea and I found ourselves on a Zoom call last September. We were connecting over the changes we had been experiencing, both as artists uh, due to the COVID-19 crisis. Everything we had lined up as artists in 2020 drastically altered. You know, Andrea started teaching online and a project she had been working on postponed. Uh, I had been furloughed from an arts admin job that I dearly loved. Uh, When I was brought back in May, everything about my position changed. Life as I had known it was just not the same anymore. Um, In addition, I had to stop working out of a shared studio space, you know, a space that I had just started to practice in. I had also planned to launch Moonplay Cinema as a micro-cinema program. I had three scheduled screenings. Uh, The first one was set uh, for June of 2020. One screening was with Andrea, another was with Kira Faber, and also with Molly Parker-Stewart. All four of us make up the current community of Moonplay. We all have been colleagues and friends for years, uh, so it just felt right to bring us together in this way, to share our work, connect, and also build a consortium. But Moonplay screenings were canceled. We weren't alone in this, as many have lost work and even lost loved ones to coronavirus. While Andrea and I spoke, we knew within minutes that we needed to continue this dialogue. How could we keep Moonplay going, knowing that we weren't going to have screenings, knowing that we didn't know when we could gather in a small theater and share and connect over our art? How could we explore this uncertainty, our anxieties, while also holding on to hope? And what about everything else? You know, the uprising and the murder of George Floyd was also on our minds. Why not just get us together, you know, get us all together, but in a different way, a way that's more accessible to us now, you know, a way that many of us have been using to stay connected during this pandemic. Uh, You know, we just reached out to Kira and Molly and within a couple of weeks, um, this conversation that I, (laughs) this little conversation I had with Andrea, which actually wasn't very little, it became something very big and meaningful to us um, uh, that we were able to gather all four of us uh, to create and begin where to from here a podcast title that I have to completely credit Andrea with. It really does wrap up what we were thinking. How do we move forward? What is the future? Um, What do we plan for? Where to from here? Obviously, Zoom was going to be our platform to talk. So with that, let's get started. Please enjoy the following conversation between myself, Andrea Shaker, Kira Faber, and Molly Parker-Stewart. It happened on October 24th, 2020. Following episodes feature individual conversations I have with each artist. The concluding episode brings us all back together to reflect and connect over this experience. With all things Moonplay, this is an experiment, a way to create vulnerability, a way to create intimacy, a way to connect and build community. This podcast was developed out of something organic and necessary, and so its episode creation in conversation is also organic, but with a little structure. So please enjoy. Um, I want to do a round of introductions. Um, My name is Jess Reyes, and I am a... um, multidisciplinary artists. I practice in book arts, drawing, painting, doodling, filmmaking, uh, video poetry, all types of things. If I can have some kind of drawing tool in my hand, I'm pretty happy. (laughs) Um, And I am the artist organizer for Moonplay Cinema. 
Thanks, Jess, for having us here today. Uh, my name is Andrea Shaker. I'm an Arab American artist. My work is interdisciplinary. I work in photography, experimental film, mixed media installation, written word, and at times spoken word. I'm interested in reflecting on the spaces of home, homeland, and migration with my work, and especially how these spaces are imagined and experienced through the physiology of intergenerational memories. I'm also interested in how these memories and experiences are passed down through generations. I'm really honored to be here today with Jess, Kira, and Molly in conversation. I'm really looking forward to the time when we can be in the micro cinema together and be screening our films. My name is uh, Molly Stewart. I am also kind of an interdisciplinary artist. I dabble in all kinds of stuff from paints to drawing. I've done um, digital native uh, software kind of art, uh, as well as experimental film, uh, which I'm probably best known for. Hello, everyone, and thanks for this invitation. Um, I'm a Luxembourg American artist, I'm currently living in Minnesota. Um, I've made art since childhood. My mom was a ceramicist, and that really influenced my interest in making things by hand and an early appreciation for the materiality um, and texture involved in making work. Um, I consider myself a fine artist. I work primarily in animated experimental film. Uh, mostly in stop motion animation, incorporating drawing, painting into sets, uh, armature puppets for animation, and other frames, other forms of frame by frame animation. Um, and my film, my films mostly are abstract narratives uh, dealing in dealing with loss, uh, trauma, and mental pathologies. Thanks. Thank you so much for um, sharing more a little bit about yourself. I'm we're gonna dive a little bit deeper. Uh, I've always admired. All, all three of you um, in terms of uh, you as individuals um, and also the, the art um, in the films uh, that you have made. The three of you in terms of the body of works that you have created, all different. What I've admired is the experimental nature but also sort of the innovative approaches that you have used um, when exploring um, the themes as well as the images that uh, you're, you seem most drawn to. So thought it would definitely create a sort of a aesthetic, but also a narrative around what is possible for film and video. And that was always a hope of mine for Moonplay is to share something some folks just don't see every day <laughs> um, and to show an appreciation for doing something authentic um, with a medium that often can be very commercial. And often that's, uh, you know, in terms of tra tradition <laughs> um, and narrative. I feel like there's just so many different ways to come at telling stories and showing images and um, conveying experience. So I appreciate um, the stories and the images that you share. So thank you for being part of Moonplay. So I thought we could just kind of dive into some questions around COVID and coronavirus. I feel like I'm just going to go right into it. <laughs> COVID has affected our art practices. It has affected our lives. It has affected so many people, so many organizations. People have obviously contracted the virus. Um, people have recovered but they've also died um, from this virus. So how has COVID affected you? For me, like, I think the biggest difference is just sort of having to have this constant awareness of who you're around and what you're doing, right? Because um, I do, like, I spend time with people who have compromised immune systems. And then I think about, you know, like, it's been a while since I've seen my mom, and I'm probably not going to see her for a good long while. She's... Um, definitely not young and pretty, uh, you know, she would be pretty vulnerable um, to some of the, the worst, um, worst case scenarios for COVID. So um, it's really kind of brought about this, this real awareness of uh, who you're with and why you're with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it sort of brings around, like, I'm, I'm really uh, kind of a 
I spend a lot of time alone anyway. It's just sort of the way I, I, I like things, but it's also really, you know, it's still kind of easy to get lonely. Like you still don't like that, the connections that, that would normally be there just aren't. So, yeah. That's really, I mean, in terms of thinking about COVID and highlighting loneliness or like, or, or, or highlighting the fact of being alone. Um, and, uh, um, it, I, that resonates with me for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like, like there's a difference between being alone because you choose to be and being alone because you have to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've, uh, I've just been in sort of thought mode and, um, anxiety mode, <laughs> um, and not sure what to expect mode. That's how I've been affected. I think uh, the anxiety, uh, you know, is so prevalent and um, on top of um, feelings of loss and just sadness for how it's affected our country, how our country has managed the pandemic and also the world. I mean, it's just devastating. Um, And uh, with cases surging again in our own state and uh, dramatically increasing around Europe. Um, and so I think learning how to, I've been kind of working on how to challenge that anxiety, you know, there's energy with anxiety inherently has an energy state and how to challenge that into production and, um, for something good and thinking about something good that you can make and that kind of good energy, kind of putting that out into the world in some way. Um, and I think that it's challenging to be intrinsically motivated right now. I think that there's been, you know, like, um, for example, looking forward to showing work at Moonplay. That's an extrinsic, you know, you know, internal, external motivator. And so how to retain that intrinsic motiva- motivation for your own practice is something that's definitely challenging. I heard a great quote from one of my uh, favorite female comedians, Ophira Eisenberg, said, you know, COVID is not an artist retreat. And I think that is actually, yeah, we have a lot of us have more time to make work but it's not necessarily the same way as it would be if you were in like, you know, um, a special retreat or a residency or something like that. It's a pandemic. So I think keeping that in mind, um, it's always kind of there under the surface as a level of anxiety and sadness. Um, in terms of work, um, it's quite affected my practice. Film festivals that I was accepted to were either canceled or postponed. Um, many went online and I had to make that decision do I participate or not? And it was based on what the terms and conditions were. And I kind of had to, you know, navigate or something that I've never had to do before and think about how do I value my work? Um, do I want scenes so bad that I will let some things slide that I normally would be more protective about? And so kind of making these decisions. Um, I was hoping, I was planning to meet my um, filmmaker mentor, Stacy Steers in Colorado, and I'm immune compromised and I can't travel. So that's just not going to happen. I don't know when it will happen. And so there's been losses like that. Um, my partner is my assistant and due to the pandemic, his own uh, teaching position has been much more demanding. And so there's also a reflection on time. And so the um, product, current production I'm working on has definitely been I feel like delayed just in terms of the emotional stress, um, the anxiety, like, like I mentioned earlier, and also the physical demands of how things are now. Um, you know, teaching on Zoom um, is definitely a different dynamic. And so I think just doing all this, it just, there's an there's a emotional drain that I think is much more evident than being in person. And so that has definitely affected things. And I think that there's just, for me, a level of sadness for what has been lost. And I don't see, um, how it's going to improve, and especially in our country in the near future. So it's definitely um, a very hard time. Think about that, like that intrinsic quality of motivation. I really appreciate uh, bringing that up. You know, right when I was furloughed, I, uh, I was on the phone um, and someone had told me, um, you know, I think it was a way to comfort me, um, but was you're going to have so much time on your hands. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, like I, I you're going to have so much time for art. I'm like, you know, I do use art for healing, but it wasn't really the first thing on my mind that I was going to use this time to do art. Um, but I would just normally do that. Um, but also like, is that a form of self-motivation? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and then making art is work. I mean, I mean, being a practicing filmmaker is work. It's not just, you know, right. And so not understanding that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The demands that go into that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, um, 
I, I didn't mention, um, and uh, Kira, I hope you're okay if I mention this, but uh, one project that has been sort of a saving grace for me um, is a project that I started, you know, with Kira, that Kira brought, um, you know, and suggested. And we have been uh, doing this um, collaborative art project where we're sharing and we're mailing art back and forth to each other that we collaborate on. It's kind of like a, an exquisite corpse game. And um, that art um, has been um, a coping strategy um, <laughs> in so many ways. And in another way to speak about this experience of COVID, the sadness, um, the uncertainty, uh, the loneliness, um, the feeling boxed in, <laughs> isolated, um, uh, lack of choice. I don't know, if Kira, if you wanted to mention anything about it. And I think it's been a way for us to connect across the distance visually and a really unique map, really unique way in responding to one another. So it's forming a, uh, a type of conversation across the distance. And I think that's been really meaningful to me about it. Um, and it's exciting to get something in the mail and then open it up and see what someone did and then think about what they're trying to say and then how you would respond to that in a visual form. I think that's been really meaningful. Mm -hmm. Kind of going um, a little bit off that, I have felt a sense of loss and that sense of loss, um, Kira, that you're talking about, and it was abrupt loss in, in a number of ways. You know, the sense of possibility in terms of our moving through this COVID as a, as a country, as, a, as a, a globe. One of the losses for me is a real sense of um, loss in terms of what people are not willing to do for the collective good. Just that real sense of not being willing to, um, for all of us to, to be better or for all of us to have a sense of justice. If we were in the same place that we were, but there was a sense of everybody doing their part, I think I would feel, feel much, you know, much more differently you know, about where we are. There's just a real, uh, a real loss. One knows that, you know, I know that that's the, a real sense of folks operate and maybe it's more on the individual level as opposed to the community level. In a crisis like this, it becomes very crystal clear in a way. And so I think that has been a sense of loss. I, I feel uh, for myself, a, a sense of disconnect in terms of, my art practice, you know, the things that are so valuable to, to my work and, and are those studio visits or um, uh, the ability to be able to, to share that work in person as opposed to uh, via a screen. There's ways in which this uh, COVID and, and this uh, pandemic, you know, have sort of really deeply affected my sort of understanding or outlook of larger sort of questions about who we are. There was a real pause in, in my process. And, and part of that was was just very, um, very real. I'm working currently on a collaborative piece. Um, I'm directing a um, segment of a dancer's uh, solo performance. Uh, she's based in Winona, Minnesota. We had been um, meeting monthly, January and February. And then our next meeting in March was just abruptly kind of ended we had to really sort of readjust, you know, how, how the work is going to be shared, but also just our process of working together. The performance that was going to take place this September um, is postponed and the performances that were going to be taking place in January, February of 2021 have also been postponed. So I think that there's just some real losses and just sort of readjustments. How do we readjust to this, this space? You know, one of the things I'll also say that was in a different way kind of caused a sense of pause, and in this instance, I think sort of a, a healthy pause, was uh, the uprising um, in Minneapolis, trying to get justice for George Floyd, that movement and uprising that spread across the country and into other parts of the world, something that really sort of deeply affected, you know, it's almost hard to now take, take those two apart. I really felt as though as an artist, I, I needed to take some time to reflect, sort of process what had happened and what is happening and the sense of possibility maybe around that. It really is, is something where I felt the need to, um, 
to pause a little bit to really go into a, a real sense of deep reflection and to really think about possibility and hope and justice. I, I think all of that's like deeply connected. I, I feel like that question of like, what is now? Um, you know, I, uh, over the summer, I helped um, do a mural um, uh, in Minneapolis, like so many murals were popping up, you know, so much uh, public art across our community, people showing up on Lake Street all over, um, you know, um, making murals um, in response. Um, and uh, one mural, um, you know, we, I helped facilitate, you know, it was like, what do we do this mural on, you know, um, uh, it's a, it's, you know, what is the conversation of the mural, and we could not separate coronavirus and social justice, like it was, um, it became, you know, a snapshot of Minneapolis in 2020. And so the images that are in that mural are, you know, standing up against police brutality, you know, um, standing up against racism, um, and also, um, mask wearing and and wearing your mask together <laughs> um and marching together wearing your masks you know it, it was um uh, quite the landscape that is what is now and also what is connected uh, because of where we are um and so i feel like this time period um we've been able to ask ourselves that you know what is now um we've been able to ask ourselves what was then um and it's this question of like, what is next or what is the future? <laughs> um, is it like it, that question, you know, I, I know hope for me is definitely there, but what is hope um, with all of this um, sadness and loneliness, um, isolation, um, uh, difficult, uh, you know, politics that we're dealing with? Um, those are some things that I'm thinking about, you know, that just come up as you say all that. Um, Andrea, I just really appreciate you sharing that. One of the things with, with COVID is I feel like I've gotten to know my neighbors better. Mm. I feel like it's been a, um, maybe just one little sort of bright spot. And that is, you know, getting to know my neighbors more um, because we're more home, we're more sitting on our, you know, front stoop or out on the, you know, uh, out walking dogs or whatever. And I think that there's a way in which that has been just a, a little uh, glimmer of, of something positive that's come out of this. I will definitely comment on the fact that like, you know, in the, the very early months of our, or even weeks of, uh, of shutdown, I saw folks in my neighborhood that I had never seen before. They're out taking walks, you know, they um, spending time out in the community um, and you're meeting um, neighbors. And I, I can definitely uh, relate to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get in on that a little bit, because yeah. I, I feel like um, one of the things that I sort of noticed is, you know, it's like, because you have to be intentional about who you're spending time with and how you're spending time with them, that that time is, it's like, much, it's much more meaningful, like the connections that you have, um, that you're choosing to feed are, are much more important, like those acts are, are um it, it sort of brings more power to the act of being together. Well, we can uh, move into talking about work. Um, some of you have mentioned um, films uh, that you had or projects you had been working on. Just wondering um, what was the last piece of art um, uh, that you had worked on? What are you working on now? So my last piece of work I completed was a collaborative piece with Jess. Um, we now have 10 pieces completed for our Do Not Bend collaborative project. Um, this is my last piece of work I completed. And we're continuing that, which I'm excited about. We're reinvestigating it through abstraction. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how that conversation unfolds. I am very lucky in that my studio is in my home and in my garage. So I've been able to continue my film production. And so I'm just feel very uh, blessed that that is a situation. I don't have to travel anywhere for my film work um, and deal with that experience with COVID. Um, and so I'm working on um, a new stop motion animated film called The Garden Seized Fire, which is supported in part by the Jerome Foundation, which I'm very thankful for. That's been an additional kind of gift, I would say, to be honest, um, during this um, pandemic. Um, and that film is, uh, 
uh, drawing and puppet stop motion animation incorporating 16 millimeter that advances frame by frame along with the animations. And so I've um, started production on it, which I'm very excited to say. The uh, pre-production was extensively laborious building everything and designing these characters and making them all by hand. Um, and so I started production a few weeks ago. So I'm really excited to be kind of embedded in that. Um, it's getting a little cold in the garage. Luckily we have a heater, but it's gonna be a bit brutal. Um, it seems like our winter is already taking a turn for the worst. So um, a little concerned about that, but it's heated up. And then of course I've turned the heater off so nothing moves during stop motion. So it'll be a bit chilly. We'll be in uh, full down coats and gloves, trying our best with the fingers cut off, trying to animate out there. Um, but I'm really, it feels really good to have something um, to work on. And again, talking about putting that energy of everything you feel about a world into something that is, um, that is positive and that is productive. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm also thinking about working in a more textural component for um, a series of photographs that I want to exhibit along with the film. So I'm taking portraits of the film's characters. Um, some of them are just drawings that end up being animations and some are armature puppets. And then um, having those woven into tapestries and then incorporating um, some of the some of the fiber materials from the sets and the characters themselves into the tapestry. So I'm kind of looking at more of a textural um, material uh, component to add to my photography to exhibit along with those um, in a museum or gallery uh, whenever that would be possible when the film's done in a period of time. So that's kind of what I'm working on. So I'm just very, very, very thankful to have this, these projects right now. So do you mind if I ask why you chose 16 millimeter? Um, I love 16. I have a lot of films that um, I've done 16. Um, I love the textural component of 16. Um, I just think it's so beautiful, the grain in motion. Um, and I really like working on it. So I shot in 16 um, because of those components. And also um, I hand painted. I spent a year um, and I just finished these doing some hand painted frame by frame, frame animations on the 16. So I have a little... Um, um, a microscope and a little light table set up so I could see, see the film and paint it frame by frame by hand. So, but then I can kind of bring um, the drawing and painting element directly onto the surface of the film. And so I like having that physicality of the medium. So that's why I did 16 for that. And then I've also buried, um, I have some <laughs> pins in my basement of dirt where I'm burying some of the 16 to destroy it as well. And then that's getting projected. So then there'll be some additional um, animation of that destruction frame by frame through the animation. So I have a projector that can advance um, frame by frame for motion, basically motion analyzer. And so I'm able to basically stop motion the 16 along with the animations in time. And I was very curious, is this actually gonna work? And I, would, I just came and visited before the pandemic in March, it seems so long ago, Jess, that we're able to be together in person. Um, and Jess came over and I, we, I, I was talking to her about this and um, you know, my husband's my assistant and we were talking about this idea and I'm like, I don't know if this is actually gonna work in terms of like uh, making sure there's no flicker and everything. So we have a, um, the, uh, Ben built, my uh, assistant, assistant and husband built this rear projection screen by hand. And so we're able to project it. And then just as long as we have the uh, studio lights, I bought a whole new set of really small studio lights to illuminate um, the sets and the characters in much more pinpoint light. And so it's not interfering at all with the um, screen. And so I'm able to have the 16 project perfectly without any flicker, flicker in the sound motion. So it's been really I'm very excited about that because I thought it was just something that I didn't know was going to work at all. So it was a bit, definitely an experiment. To talk about experimental film, it was truly, <laughs> truly an experiment. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Molly. Do you work in 16 as well? Uh, I, I don't, but I have played around. Um, I'm currently playing around with eight millimeter right now. So fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's also amazing. I'm so excited and happy that it's worked out. So um, I have been curious. So, um, Molly, do you want to share about your the eight millimeter work that you've been doing? <laughs> or oh, you no, no. I mean, it's just right now I'm just like sort of trying to experiment. I mean, I say experiment, but I, I mean that in a very like explicit term. Like I'm trying to figure out like how do I work with eight millimeter? Um, do I even like working with eight millimeter? Is it just kind of the idea of it that I like? I don't, I don't know right now. It's it's all in flux. Everything right now um, around my art is actually in flux. So I guess to give people a background, my experimental film is all uh, data-driven. 
Um, so like what I would do is I would collect a lot of data about something and I would put it together um, and then kind of change the structure in the data to create the film. So I would take something um, uh, that would represent the structures within my life that affected my life and collect a lot of the data that sort of created those that represented that structure um, and then alter the digital structure to create something else. So I would have like, um, like one of my films, uh, an act of pure and unrelenting beauty. I took 450 gigabytes of uh, anti-trans hate speech and uh, other bits of flotsam and jetsam digital stuff uh, and packed it all together into a single file and then altered the digital structures of those files to create like a beautiful piece of art. It was like, it's supposed to be this trans transformational thing, which, which, which it is, but I came to realize that doing things like, like digging through 450 gigabytes of hate speech aimed at me is like kind of damaging. I can't do that anymore. It's, it's too much. Um, so I'm sort of like at this point in my career where I'm trying to figure out like, what am I going to do now? Um, and I, I, I don't know, I don't have, I'm sort of shotgunning a lot of things uh, and just seeing like hoping that something sticks. Um, so, and I do feel like, I feel a little bit fortunate that, you know, COVID came around and I feel like a lot of the artists I know, they're, they're all of what they were doing sort of hit this pause. Um, and I was already at this pause. So I didn't have to like suddenly, I wasn't forced into this thing. I was, I was already, uh, I was already there. So I don't know, there's that, I guess. I completed sort of a uh... Right, actually, um, the exhibition closed just a bit before, maybe a month before the pandemic hit, was a uh, series of photographs, uh, moving image pieces, and written word entitled On Beit. Um, Beit in Arabic means home. A lot of what my work deals a lot with are, are questions of home and homeland, the idea of the physiology of intergenerational memory and how we um, carry memories with us uh, across spaces and through spaces. So that, that exhibition was at Film North. It was work that I had photographed in my ancestral village in Lebanon, as well as other parts of, of Lebanon, and then worked through and, and printed. And it was, um, it was really sort of a great process. There was a catalog with the show. And for that catalog, I worked with a graphic designer. I uh, worked alongside a, a curator um, of Arab American film and, and image to work on selecting the images as well as working on uh, curating and writing a curatorial statement. Um, and I worked with uh, um, a printer to also do the printing of the platinum palladium prints that were in the exhibition. And so that felt like just sort of like a major sort of completion and, and uh, of the work. So that's my last sort of completed piece. Right now, I'm working on a couple of things. One is a film in the same series on bait uh, uh, on home that is working with footage that I made in Lebanon, as well as integrating some of my own writing. I'm also, as I mentioned just a bit earlier, working on collaboratively on this process with uh, Sharon Mansour, her uh, dance performance called uh, 1001 um, Arab Futures. So that work has um, kind of shifted a lot during COVID and it kind of gets back a little bit to what you all were just talking about, but is that sense of process. So that piece I was, uh, I'm working on sort of directing a segment of that performance, her solo performance, and it was to be performed at the Cowles uh, Center this past September, should have been at the Winona Conservatory of Art in um, this coming January, February, um, as well as an installation in a, in a space in Winona. That has all been put on hold or we're not quite certain. One of the performances is, is rescheduled for, for September, but the reality is, is we don't really know what's going to be happening in, in this process. And so we are just delving into process work, knowing that this work 
for Sharon may manifest in a lot of different ways. It may be a performance in a space. It may be a performance outside. It may be a film. Um, it may be a book. We shifted from meeting in person uh, to something where we're meeting, kind of going back and forth, like uh, mailing each other um, uh, letters, a little bit like I think um, Jess and Kira, your your project, but mailing um, things so that we can have sort of a little bit of tactility, you know, a little bit of not just all of our conversations being over Zoom. And that has been really rewarding, I think, in a lot of ways. But we're kind of trying to figure out what those next steps are, but uh, also being just really immersed right now in the process with, in trying to, to be with that uncertainty of just not knowing how it's going to come out. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to talk just briefly about the mailing part again. Like, I feel like <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about the process of your work, but it also just makes me think about, we, we're, we've talked about this level of isolation um, um, that we're on Zoom, <laughs> whether we're teaching, talking, having a conversation like this. I mean, I'm last night I played trivia for two hours on Zoom so I could hang out with some friends. <laughs> um, so I, but I feel like this idea of like, like getting something physical, you know, in the mail because we our, our physical contact with our you know some you know our families our friends um even our neighbors or co-workers um going to the theater all of these things have been sort of shut out in our life for necessary reasons but getting something in the mail that physical touch uh, it feels like a hug. <laughs> it really does. And so I think that's another level of the, the, the coping that I've had with the project with Kira is like every time I get that package in the mail and then I can feel the art, I feel like I'm being hugged. So thank you, Kira. <laughs> oh, it, it does have a, like a beyond symbolic quality, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the physicality. I think that's so interesting that you're doing that as well, Andrea. Uh, I think that's just so smart to bring you two together in a physical plane, a space in some way, you know, across the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Jess, it just, um, I, I, that our project has gotten me through so many hard and sad times and it's, I've been so thankful for it. And um, sometimes I'll be so tired and I went too tired to work on my, my own work, but I could work. I have somehow a little reserve for our project. Um, and so it's been a really interesting, different mode of working and method of expression for me. Um, and so it's been very freeing. And I also feel that I've grown as a result of the project, doing things that I normally maybe would not do and improving and just growing in skills and different forms of um, artistic expression. So it's really added a lot to my own practice uh, in addition to the collaboration. So I'm very, I'm very thankful as well. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, yeah there's, there's something about that sharing of um, physicality. And I found mm -hmm. that of these, these objects that I, I found that actually a lot of what, you know, I'm sending is writing. Mm -hmm. And I've started by, you know, addressing it, dear Sharon, like I'm having a conversation as I'm mm -hmm. sort of processing the ideas um, that I have for, for this piece. And it's, it's been like just this really way in which we can kind of respond back and forth. And are you saving them? I wonder if it'd be interesting to save them and then like scan them or put them into a book form if you made something like that. You know, it would be so, so quite, be quite lovely. Yeah. So um, I have scanned them. We are saving them and we're saving sort of all of our notes in one of the sort of book form that I'm uh, looking to actually make from this is, is something that's, you know, something that might be a manifestation of this project in some sort of book form. And I've been thinking about actually uh, some sort of uh, something that one might wear. The, mm. the work is a lot about the body um, mm. as in movement of the body um, through space. And, and it's also a lot about this, this notion of fragments, fragments and bits and pieces of things. And, and a lot about a, a whole lot of other things. And so I'm in sort of the early phases of, of actually sort of researching what might be some different book forms. And mm -hmm. um, if any of you have any ideas, I'd love to, to, um, to hear either now or at another time. So you could print some of the, some of the text onto some type of fabric and make some kind of clothing item out of that. How interesting is a companion to the book or something? How intriguing for an exhibition. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely, Andrea. How nice. Thank you. 
I really love the, uh, the kind of the intimacy of letter writing. It's also like, I think it's funny. Uh, that's something that I've started doing as well since COVID started. I have a friend who lives in Germany who got stranded there because all, all the, the borders closed down. So um, our opportunities to see each other like really kind of went away. So we started sending each other letters as well. And I, so I really feel that sort of like, yeah, there's a, a real sense of, of physical connection that comes with, you know, holding this letter that was written by someone's hand. You can, you can really kind of sense that. And I think, um, you know, finding a way to use that purposely in your work, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, yeah. A question I was really curious about that I probably would have asked you in person at um, one of your um, screenings. Um, you know, um, when did you make your very first film and what was it? The first film I made was in grad school. It was uh, three in camera edit pieces um, that were then put together as kind of three channels, but on one screen. And I was really inspired by um, a quote from one of my favorite artists, Bridget Riley, about enhanced creativity through working within constraints. And so I really loved uh, the process of in-camera edit. I'm kind of a very organized person. So I planned out, I was beginning of, beginning of working on writing scripts. And so, but I loved the immediacy of um, shooting, shooting and shooting. So that was very freeing for me with that constraint. And it's the first time I started working with draw, incorporating drawing into, I've always drawn my entire life. It's the first time I've kind of put drawings into films um, and text as well, in combination with some live motion. And the films, the films, through the three films kind of explored interdependence and control in relationships. And so that was kind of the beginning of, it was shot on Hyatt video, which is kind of a nice back in the day uh, medium. Again, I really love the texture of that. It's so grainy, um, but uh, that was kind of my first kind of foray into filmmaking and then just obviously gone on from there. So I think the the fil first film that I made intentionally was probably a uh, an, an, a stop motion animation of cookies, which I, I just sort of did it for fun. Uh, but it 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 turned out really nicely, and I enjoyed doing it. But I also like to think about like the way I sort of came into experimental filmmaking. So I think it's kind of interesting. I didn't come into it intentionally thinking I'm going to be a filmmaker. I was doing digital native art, working with uh, software's art, and I was uh, doing a lot of things with evolutionary algorithms and things like that. And and it would sort of, like the art itself would sort of start producing these uh, individual frames that you would put together. And then at some point in time, people started calling me a filmmaker, and I was like, oh well, I should, I should maybe do something intentional with that. So. Um, so I started experimenting with different ways that I could kind of incorporate the two and create something that was done specifically for film. I think some of my um, first sort of maybe almost say like moving image pieces were done um, in the mid 90s. They were just these really short um, little stop motion animations made um, from photographs that would be that where I would exhibit them on small monitors alongside of, of photographs and other mixed media materials to create more of a space. And they were gestural, you know, one of them was just uh, examining the, the small movements of a foot, trying to make its way out of a frame, was looking at, at questions of, um, of memory and loss I would say that that would be some of my first um, moving image work. Some of it was was uh, work with a hand uh, in terms of addressing kind of just these really sort of small movements and, and repetitive movements and how they kind of spoke to a sense of, of loss and ephemerality and, and memory through the body. I appreciate sort of this, like from like the work that we started with um, as moving image artists or experimental film artists, um, filmmakers, artists, however we want to describe ourselves so that we're not limiting or boxing us into sort of a category um, that um, some of the themes or interests are still there, you know, from, from the, the get-go. So um, I appreciate that, but also the fact that um, I can tell like even from the first works that we've done where we've where we are today um, and um, I, I appreciate that. So sharing, uh, thank you for sharing that. 
I kind of wanted to shift a little bit and um, ask about um, questions around, you know, our needs as artists, uh, um, our hopes for the future as artists, as people. And so um, just thought I would kind of throw that out there. What, in terms of what we're experiencing now or what projects you have in mind or goals that you have, what kinds of needs do you have to make that work? Um, I guess I would say I would wish there were more venues and exhibition spaces for artistic driven avant-garde experimental film. And so I think that's what was so exciting about Moonplay Jazz and your personal um, belief in that and vision and drive. And I think it's filling a much, much needed place, um, not only in um, Minnesota and Minneapolis, St. Paul, but just I think around the world, honestly. I mean, clearly there are places to do, to show this type of work, but I think that um, there really could be much more. Um, and especially supporting women and, um, you know, uh, other filmmakers that from different other marginalized groups. I mean, clearly uh, sexism is still a major issue, even in, um, artist-driven experimental film. So it's always, it's still there. It's still gonna be there. It's still gonna affect who gets accepted and who doesn't. And so I think just having more opportunities for that. Um, I also think that there could be some more realistic funding opportunities for artist-driven film. Um, I have a personal, maybe I shouldn't say this, personal beef with the arts board and that um, films, you know, work is supposed to be, be completed in a year. Well, I have not submitted in, I don't know, eight years because all of my films are stop motion animation and they take much longer than a year to complete. So I just don't submit anymore. I don't bother with the application. Um, and so I think there could be some more realistic. I think was think I think that um, the Jerome and the McKnight are fantastic at that. Just the really understanding the duration that real productions take. Um, and so I think there could be some more knowledge about that. Um, and just, I think more, it'd be great to see some more commercial spaces, commercial art, um, galleries that are interested in supporting um, experimental and artist-driven film and to see an avenue for some revenue for that. You know, could uh, film stills be sold or, you know, a lot of us work in drawing and painting and could those be companion pieces that galleries could uh, exhibit alongside of the films for, you know, I know, I know it's a commercial, so it has to generate revenue, but I think there could be some more creative means for that. And I think there's definitely, um, I think just, you know, surveying uh, the commercial gallery, uh, system around the United States, especially there seems to me to be not that many opportunities for that. And I think that's something that I would enjoy seeing more of. I can totally relate to that in terms of uh, creating or finding commercial ways to support experimental filmmakers. I will honestly say as someone who's been pract a practicing experimental filmmaker since 2005, the most I have, and I'm just going to be honest, I, I make my living as if as an artist in so many different ways. And I've had to, to survive mm -hmm. because I have only made, I'm going to say only $1,500 yeah. as an experimental filmmaker. And I tell people that, you know, when I do consultations, people, I, I meet with people all, all over the state of Minnesota who are practicing filmmakers. And I tell them that I have to, to diversify, you know, my income in order to make a living. And I, I do see myself as a full-time artist. Um, but in terms of experimental filmmaking, you, there has to be uh, multiple ways um, to make an income from it. And the, one of the issues is that there just isn't, there isn't um, the venues out there to mm -hmm. support. Um, and that was one of the goals of Moonplay that I, you know, could create something where I was making sure that experimental filmmakers and filmmakers um, um, who are underrepresented um, are getting paid for showing their work, um, talking about their work, um, and, and sharing. I think it's so important. So thank you for, for bringing that up. I think that's really important. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that. So um, like, I agree, there is a, a real lack of space that's interested in experimental film. I know like when you look at like the festival scene and things like that, when people talk about experimental, a lot of the times what they're talking about is different ways to tell a story. So if you have work that's non-narrative or abstract or something like that, it gets really hard to find spaces that will show. And those spaces, you rarely get paid for it, right? And, and this was my tenure at Altered Aesthetics. One of my real big goals was to ensure that everybody gets paid. 
Um, like if we are putting one of your films up on the screen, we're going to pay you for that work because artists deserve to, you know, art is work and people deserve to get paid for doing work. Uh, labor is expensive, art is expensive, time is expensive and people deserve to have an opportunity to get paid back for that. Um, and one of the real bummers of the whole thing is just finding how incredibly hard it is to find money to pay experimental filmmakers, right? It's just, it's not out there. I think that there's a big audience that's interested in experimental film. People who, sometimes it's hard to reach them. Uh, it, it can be a little intimidating for people to look at like experimental and artist-driven film. Uh, the way we talk about it, I think can feel a little bit intimidating for people who haven't really kind of gotten into it yet. But people who like take the opportunity and take the risk to kind of get into that, a lot of people really like it. So I think the interest is there, um, but the money isn't. And, and I think that's, uh, that's really been very frustrating for me. I'd like to also go off of uh, what Molly and, and Kira have said, um, and maybe as, as just especially speak to Moonplay and what you're doing, the idea of having a micro cinema and having a venue to show work and to, to share it and to have an intimate you know, conversation within, you know, with a, uh, in person with a small, uh, small-ish audience to be able to have that relationship with an audience and to have a conversation, to have the work be sort of one way to share an idea or something like that. And then to be able to have that back and forth you know, to be able to have like the work function, not only as just this piece that's shown and, but to have it be something that maybe helps other people also kind of come and understand, you know, through empathy, a sense of uh, their own experiences in relation to the work and how they respond to the work. So I think the sense of having an audience, a sort of sense of a place where empathy can be at play and where sort of the, the, the way a story might grow. And I'm using the st story in a very broad sense. I'm not using it in the strict sense of a narrative kind of thing, but to have that, that space, I think is, is so vital. And I think in part, because sometimes experimental films are oftentimes maybe very different or distinct from what people think about when they think about going to see a film, right? And so it can be maybe just a little bit more uh, challenging to understand, but I think that that conversation and again, what you're doing just with Moonplay and microcinema kind of allows for the, the sense of a more intimate conversation, which I think is really, really beautiful. When I'm sharing this type of work is I know that there is an audience, like we know, right, Molly, there's people that there, there's a lot of people out there that do want this kind of work in their life. And so um, when you bring that up, that's, that's where I come at with that is uh, that sense of connection um, and bringing people together to experience and connect, talk um, about the work, I think can help enhance that appreciation for the work. One of the things that I really enjoy about the kind of the micro cinema uh, screening format is, is exactly that, kind of the intimacy and the empathy and, and the way it's rather than like if you're in like a museum setting where it's this thing over there that you have to kind of take in uh, within an abstract space of your own, uh, that can be kind of hard to do, but like in, in this micro cinema kind of format, it's not a thing over there, it's an experience that we're all sharing. And I, I think that that really provides a, a path to entry for both artists and audience, you know, people can come and, and talk and share and, and come to an understanding that starts from empathy rather than kind of this cold abstractness of space. And I think there's value in both, you know, um, I think the value of showing experimental artist-driven film in a museum, a gallery is that you can sit with the work and you can maybe see it 
and maybe it loops and you can see it multiple times and each time you might gain and see something that you didn't see the first time. I think uh, I agree with you all in terms of the micro cinema, you know, the enclosed intimacy and maybe only, you know, it's only seeing the film once like a film festival and a screening. I think it can also get the wonderful power of film through its transitory nature. You know, what I might retain versus what you might retain um, between is personal in terms of how it might, you know, my, I bring my personal psychology to how I read a film. Um, and we all bring our own personal experiences and uh, to how we read and see a film. And so I think it's so exciting that intermixing in that split second of time, you know, sound, image, and the visual, and then our own psychology. And then we interpret it in different ways. And I think the micro seminar can give an opportunity to have those discussions after work is shown, um, where that might not be the same, that transitory nature is not the same in a museum or gallery setting. So I think both hold uh, unique viewing experiences uh, for the viewer. And they're both really valuable. Yeah, I, I certainly, you know, don't want to uh, undervalue the uh, museum kind of gallery space experience uh, either. Um, but I do, you know, I, I like, like you were talking about, like we have this exchange of ideas. And as an artist, I really appreciate that uh, because I can hear, oh, this is something that someone got out of my work that I didn't recognize. And maybe I can sort of like, uh, nurse that within my own practice and be more intentional about it. And that's, that's really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and it's a further connection to other people when you hear their interpretations, right? It's, um, it's quite exciting um, because though maybe it was something unconscious in ourselves or not at all, right? Someone else's reading of the work um, and it becomes, you know, a shared personal experience, which I think is so meaningful and especially gets expressed to me, I think in the medium of avant-garde experimental artist-driven film where there is an interpretation of the narrative because it might be loose structured, right? There becomes more opportunity um, for that personal interpretation, which is very exciting. I'm just like reeling and just being able to have this kind of conversation. It's not every day that I get to delve into thoughts around film and experience and why, why share this with the world. <laughs> um, and so I just appreciate the time that you have given and the voice and perspective that you've shared. Um, I've got two last questions um, that I thought we would explore. Now that we've, you know, have gone deep um, on some of these um, areas around COVID, our work, politics. <laughs> um, just wondering, um, as we move uh, forward into sort of this conversation series, wondering uh, if you have any thoughts or um, ideas of, uh, of uh, themes or questions that we could continue to explore together in these individual um, talks that I will have with each of you. A couple things that I would be really interested in learning more about our processes, how each of us addresses um, process in our work and also uh, a sense of influences and, and maybe other artists, but if there's other sort of influences or experiences or any anything around that sort of thing that really informs or that we feel um, informs the work. I feel like when some of us were talking that there was some, you know, co uh, commonality between themes that we kind of explored, or maybe if they're not necessarily exactly the same, certainly I got a sense of the body being something important through some of our conversations that might be interesting to explore. Also, if um, people think maybe a, a consortium of, um, you know, experimental um, artist-driven filmmakers uh, forming together in some type of network uh, for sharing progress, encouragement, I think sometimes what, could be valuable is um, just for support, you know, saying, you know, someone puts up a film still, all says what I'm working on. And I think that, I think just the support would be more valuable to me. I'm have, I'm not interested in um, critique because I'm working on something. I'm not interested in that and I don't find that valuable. I just think maybe, you know, someone says, wow, you know, keep it up or just, I mean, something that, you know, I think sometimes, especially in this, uh, current uh, age of COVID where people are more disconnected. Maybe there's not those, you know, casual meetups for a coffee conversation or sharing what you're working on. It might be something that might be valuable that I don't know if other people have a similar interest or not. Yeah, I, I really kind of feel that support um, idea. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that I've always struggled with as an artist is, you know, when I'm creating something, 
I sort of like go into, you know, you, you go into the cave, you shut the door, and then a year later you come out and, and try to see like who, who, who's still willing to talk to you. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that's important is finding ways to find that support and finding ways to, like, I also like the ideas of process. How do we do process? How do we influence each other's process? How do we support each other as we um, work through our, our processes? I've been a part of some other uh, programs where uh, one of the things we would always ask is what do you need? And a lot of times the answers would come out like I am trying to figure out a way to do something. Like these are all process related uh, questions and whether those, you know, whether it's I'm trying to figure out a way to find inspiration or I'm trying to figure out a way to uh, like physically do this, this, the physical process of creating a, this Thing that I want to do, kind of encouragement and support and process. I think all of those things kind of uh, go together. It seems so fitting that uh, process and support <laughs> where it would be sort of where we were going. Um, it's come up a few times already in our conversation, but I mean, the, the premise of Moonplay was to be just that, to be a place of, of support, a network, um, friendship, um, uh, and um, to share in our process, but be able to come together as a place uh, to problem solve or check in and to share. So I, um, I think that's, that is amazing. So thank you. My last question, um, unless any of you have um, some questions to ask, um, uh, is uh, with all that we've discussed, um, whether um, so the darknesses that we have experienced, that our world has experienced, the pauses that we have endured, what is your hope? Is there a hope for future, the future? You know, what is the future to you? Where do we go from here? It's a big question. I guess my hope is people keep making their work because I think it's valuable. And I think uh, to me, making is a way to deal with um, personal and global things you're dealing with or thinking about. And I think uh, making is a way of putting that uh, personal expression out there. And, um, you know, no one, I always, I, I heard recently that someone say, if you don't speak your truth, no one else will, right? And so I think that it's so valuable to keep making work that might be challenging and difficult for people to watch. And I think it's imp important to have these conversations and to make work that is conceptually different is challenging. It's important to keep that up. Um, so I uh, uh, would say something, you know, very similar to what um, Kira just said, that sense of making work and that making work that, that challenges ourselves and, and others. I think that a place, a maybe I have a hope which, that this work um, and we've might talked a, a bit about like to... maybe the commonality of the the body through throughout the the work, and when I think a little bit more broadly, I think about the idea of um, all bodies, you know, and all persons and all bodies being um, that there that there is some sense of justice and and equity that we might work towards. I think that's something that COVID and, and 2020 has made more and more as something that's urgent. I think it's really urgent. My hope lies in kind of this other theme we've, that's been showing up for us here uh, in intimacy and empathy. Um, I think like over the past year, that has been like the one thing that has constantly been showing up uh, in, in, in the larger realm, whether it's the empathy that we have for our friends and our neighbors and the intimacy that we create within our own social groups um, or the, the uprising that happened over this summer, which was really fueled by this sudden like empathy for people to really feel what's happening. And then other more personal levels when you, like I see like, a broader conversation about uh, things like mental health and bipolar disorder and things like that showing up, um, which has never really kind of been around before. Uh, like this continuing evolution of trying to build a deeper understanding for each other as individuals. 
uh, I, I find a lot of hope in that. I think I'm definitely going to echo all of those sentiments. I feel that I have tried to keep um, positivity. <laughs> um, I, I often will force myself into positivity. I'm normally a very bubbly person, if you don't know that about me. Um, and um, But I also am someone um, that lives with mental health, just like the three of you um, and the rest of the world. <laughs> My hope is that we continue to honor mental health, that we honor um, the individuals that we don't know that we protect our communities. I have hope in that. <laughs> and I have hope in us. I mean, I, I and that might sound hokey, <laughs> um, but I don't just mean us, the four of us, but I have hope um, in us. And um, that what keeps me motivated is us means community to me um, at large. And so community is what gives me hope. Thank you for being part of my community. <laughs> um, Cool. Well, I really appreciate um, your time today. Are there any last things that you'd like to share before we, we end our talk? I'd like to uh, thank you, Jess, for bringing us together. And this has just been really wonderful to hear from, um, from the three of you. It's, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. It's been a real honor to be with everybody here. Um, Jess, I've worked with for a while. Uh, Kira, um, I've seen your work at Altered Aesthetics and I've always been a big fan. And Andrea, yours too. I've seen yours all over the place. Um, and it just, it, it feels really good to kind of be in this, this group with uh, all of these people who I really admire. Jess, you know, you have such a um, lovely way of bringing people together. And I just want to say it's very meaningful. Thank you so much for, for being with um, all of us today. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Where To From Here, a podcast series presented by Moonplace Cinema. Next up is a conversation with Molly Parker Stewart, an interdisciplinary artist living and working in Minneapolis, Minnesota.